Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Australia on this day. I'm Michael Adams, and today we're heading back to Thursday, the 18th of July, 1940. That was the day that newspapers denounced the Menzies government's new wartime Director General of Information as being Australia's version of Nazi propaganda chief Joseph Goebbels. The name of this homegrown, despicable enemy of freedom and democracy? Sir Keith Murdoch, millionaire media mogul. As we heard in the 7th of July episode, Keith Murdoch had been a correspondent in the Great War. He made his name by penning the censorship-defying Gallipoli letter that laid bare British miscalculation in the Dardanelles and the terrific cost being borne by Australian soldiers. After the war in London, Keith Murdoch headed up a news cable agency before returning home in 1921 and rising to prominence as editor of the Melbourne Herald newspaper. From there, he'd become managing director of the Herald and Weekly Times as it expanded its media interests across Australia in the 1920s and 1930s. Knighted in 1933, Sir Keith saw himself as a political kingmaker and perhaps even puppet master, claiming privately that he'd put Prime Minister Joe Lyons in office and could dispatch him just as easily. As far as that Prime Minister went, death actually got there ahead of Sir Keith, with Joe Lyons dying in office in 1939, though Keith Murdoch was a strong supporter of his successor, Robert Menzies. By 1940, the Second European War had become a far more concerning conflict. The phony war was over, and the Nazis were blitzkrieging their way towards Paris. Prime Minister Menzies had to ensure that the Australian population was sufficiently alert and alarmed about this worsening threat. So he turned to the man he thought was perfect for the job, Sir Keith Murdoch, boss of Australia's biggest media empire and the nation's canniest publicist. Sir Keith consulted with other newspaper proprietors before accepting this new role of Director General of Information, which would put him in charge of the Department of Information. Though these newspaper bosses were often Sir Keith's bitter rivals, they actually welcomed his appointment. Presumably, that was because they thought it was better to have one of their own in charge rather than some politician or bureaucrat who didn't understand the news business. On the 7th of June 1940, three days after the evacuation of Dunkirk and Churchill's We Will Fight Them on the Beaches speech, Prime Minister Menzies announced Sir Keith's new role. His job was outlined in five key points. He'd be tasked with honestly presenting the war's progress to the Australian people. He was to keep the people informed of the Australian war effort, keep them abreast of their duties, and organise groups to create a patriotic public psychology for the war effort. Lastly, Sir Keith was to arrange for every avenue of publicity, newspapers, radio and cinema, to be used to achieve these goals. That was all reasonable and sensible for a country at war, and Sir Keith's appointment was greeted with approval by other newspaper owners. Frank Packer's The Daily Telegraph editorialised, quote, 
The appointment means that Menzies has a man in this key post whom not only he, but all of Australia can trust. For his part, Sir Keith promised there'd be, quote, no conceivable bias or self-interest. Everything seemed rosy, and in the days after his appointment, Sir Keith paid tribute to and expressed confidence in the war efforts of newspaper, radio, and cinema workers and owners. And newspaper owners were pleased with the first major action undertaken by the Director General of Information. That was because Sir Keith appointed three journalists to write a nightly news session that was to be broadcast on all commercial and ABC radio stations six nights a week. Newspaper owners were happy because the ABC's nightly radio news broadcast had been really popular. Now that it was reduced to stale, state-sanctioned stuff, that meant people were more likely to buy newspapers, including those, of course, controlled by Sir Keith Murdoch. On the 17th of July, five weeks after his appointment as Director General of Information, Prime Minister Menzies gave Sir Keith Murdoch a media superpower. He wasn't going to censor. The government could already do that. But instead, he was going to provide content. Now Sir Keith could order newspapers, radio stations and cinema owners to publish, broadcast and screen any matter, quote, necessary or expedient for the defence of Australia. And Sir Keith had the power to tell them when, where, and at what length, or for how long, that content would be published, broadcast, or screened. Sir Keith could write, record, or film a lengthy editorial and order that it be printed on front pages, broadcast in radio primetime, and shown at the head of newsreels. This power, he said, would only be used to ensure that correct official information reached the public and was given the same prominence as any incorrect coverage. Sir Keith added that his power was only to be wielded if a media owner acted irresponsibly. Of course, the blindingly obvious problem with this was that Sir Keith Murdoch would be the one to determine what was correct and incorrect, responsible and irresponsible. Outrage barely begins to describe the reaction. The government's own Postmaster General, Harold Thorby, who had control over broadcasting, had been blindsided and told the Sun newspaper in Sydney, quote, I had nothing to do with it. My first intimation of this was from the press. Labor Senate leader George Maclay reckoned, quote, Gagging the press is just the thin edge of the wedge, just a step closer to the ultimate stifling of all criticism of the government. Long-serving Labor Federal MP Jack Beasley said, quote, Sir Keith Murdoch has a vested interest in newspapers and radio and is entirely independent of Parliament. The Prime Minister has become just a tool in the hands of men whose real instincts are opposed to democracy and who now see the opportunity to introduce fascism in this country. Victoria's Conservative Premier Albert Dunstan was more succinct and he came out with, quote, Had they gone mad? This is establishing a dictatorship. Labor Federal Opposition Leader and future Prime Minister John Curtin had his say this way. Sir Keith Murdoch has, by this power, made himself, in effect, editor-in-chief of every newspaper in Australia. He becomes director of every broadcasting station and dictator in respect to the motion picture industry. 
He has long been suspected of this ambition, and his appointment as Director General of Information enables him to exercise authority over public opinion in Australia, which hitherto has been limited to the extent of his personal resources. The only newspapers in Australia to approve of Sir Keith Murdoch's powers and his promise to use them sparingly, if at all, were Melbourne's The Herald and other mastheads that he controlled. The Age opined that the new powers were, quote, unnecessary, intolerable, and highly dangerous, while the Argus said they were, quote, as damaging an attack on the freedom of the press as ever has been attempted in any British community. But it was the headline above the Sydney Sun's front-page editorial that had to leave a Nazi aftertaste for Sir Keith Murdoch. It read, The Goebbels Touch. The editorial said the Menzies government couldn't have destroyed trust in itself more completely if it tried. This broadside continued, quote, The regulation enables the Director of Information, a person who is not responsible to public opinion, to do with the press of Australia what Dr Goebbels in Germany and Mussolini in Italy have done with the newspapers of those countries. Even Britain under the threat of imminent invasion, has not found such power necessary. The piece continued. It is condemned by cabinet ministers, members of the opposition, businessmen and university professors, and representatives of the working people. No lover of freedom can approve it. No excuse for it can make it anything but a potential instrument of oppression. No democracy can tolerate it. But Prime Minister Menzies stood by his man and actually put himself in the firing line for Sir Keith. Quote, I should like to point out that these are not powers being given to some irresponsible person. Every power in the new regulation is subject to the direction of the minister, that is, myself. A reporter asked, quote, What is your reply to the suggestion that in taking these powers, the government is endeavouring to out-Goebbels Dr. Goebbels? Prime Minister Menzies answered, That is a load of nonsense. Sir Keith defended himself to the Sun newspaper in Sydney, saying that his motives had been misconstrued. Quote, I would have been satisfied to use the ample power that exists of suppressing publication by censorship. I felt and am convinced that it is the right view that suppression by censorship should be avoided where possible and that the best answer to persistent misstatement is the power to correct it adequately. That is all the new regulation is intended to mean. Sir Keith continued, It means nothing more than that no reputable newspaper need fear interference of any sort. A reputable newspaper, if it falls into misstatement, seeks to correct it. To say that freedom of the press is attacked is to raise a bogey that does not exist. Sir Keith didn't reassure anybody about the non-existence of this bogey by what he did next. And that was that very night put his foot right in his mouth on radio when he recorded his reasons for the regulations and ordered 127 stations across the country to play his diatribe as a news session. Labor MP Jack Beasley responded, quote, The next step along the Goebbels Road will be to compel every newspaper to print a front-page editorial eulogising Sir Keith Murdoch. While politicians and proprietors fulminated, Smith's Weekly in Sydney made fun with an article imagining the sort of articles it might now be forced to publish. Here's a sample of their satire. Quote, 
Australians will be surprised to learn that a snap federal election was held last Saturday. It resulted in a political landslide which swept away all parties opposed to the Menzies government, both in the representatives and the Senate. Nobody, of course, knew that Saturday was polling day as, in the national interest, the greatest secrecy was maintained. Sir Keith Murdoch won Wantabadgeri, a new electorate comprising a flock of 20,000 sheep, and all of them recorded their votes in his favour. Sir Keith succeeds Mr Menzies as Prime Minister. And one more from Smith's Weekly. Quote, Sir Keith Murdoch has completed a volume entitled Mine Struggle. The first edition is in paper cover and is published at £5.05. Shillings. Purchase of it is compulsory. Its noble thesis is strength through weakness of others. Smith imagined the preface to this Hitler-like memoir reading, quote, Every politician, from prime minister to private member, is a pushover. Power is for whoever has the will to seize it. Sir Keith Murdoch had tried to seize a power that Australians just weren't willing to give him. Prime Minister Menzies blinked and withdrew the regulations for redrafting. Meanwhile, Sir Keith's rivals now put the boot in while handing the Prime Minister a parachute. Frank Packer's The Daily Telegraph, which just a few weeks earlier had been fulsome in its praise of Keith Murdoch, bore this front page headline on the 21st of July. This is how Menzies was deceived. The accompanying article was a behind-the-scenes expose that claimed, quote, Before Wednesday's drastic regulations were gazetted, Sir Keith led Mr Menzies to believe that Australian newspapers had agreed in advance to accept them. Sir Keith implied that it was only because he was assured of the full cooperation of the Australian press that he asked for the new dictatorial powers. This was a complete misstatement of the facts. Despite this alleged deception, Prime Minister Menzies didn't boot Sir Keith from the role, but from this point on, he was pretty much muzzled as Director General of Information. Watered-down regulations were gazetted at the end of August, the nightly radio news sessions were discontinued, and Sir Keith resigned the position in mid-November 1940. Sir Keith Murdoch's tilt at Nazi-style powers was viewed by at least one of his biographers as the worst mistake of his professional life. Maybe that was why when he died in October 1952, the 2,240-word tribute in his paper The Herald, headline, Keith Murdoch, a great Australian, tireless man of vision, didn't mention at all his stint as Director General of Information in wartime Australia. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.